Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We are uh, going to continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And again, y'all uh, realize that chapter 14 is a chapter that is very controversial. It was Paul had to write it because there were some controversial things going on in the Corinthian church, one among many, and it is a corrective letter. It's not a mandate for a particular gift. It's a corrective letter. We ought to keep that at the center of our thoughts as we go down. The thing that we got to realize is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is not a spiritual gift. The main thing is the Son of God. That's the main thing. The main thing is He who gives you life. The main thing is His worship and His glory. That's the main thing. And we are gathered here as His body to edify and to lift Him up. To edify the truth in one another. To demonstrate the truth of his body. That's what we're here for. So as we go through this chapter, I want you to remember that what Paul is doing, and it really is the Holy Spirit through Paul that's doing this, what the Holy Spirit through Paul wants to do is he's doing this to the Corinthian believers. He's going, hey, 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 up here, up here, look at me. Look at me. You are distracted You are looking the wrong direction. You have lost the truth of what a spiritual gift is. You've lost the truth of worship. And what's worse, you've lost the truth of who you are. You're looking for worldly, fleshy expression. You're looking for fleshy identity. You haven't recognized what that spiritual gift, the purpose, the function what it represents, you're lost. And he wants to pull their eyes back towards truth. You see, the spiritual gift of tongues or the issue of tongues is not the root. It's the fruit of a congregation that is living according to the flesh. And what's worse, a congregation that doesn't even recognize it, but is still trying to know God according to the flesh. We're going to come up on this issue of maturity. Maturity in the Christian experience is a lot like it is in the human experience. Of course, we find that God created the two to parallel. But in the human experience, one of the ways you know a child is maturing is when they become more selfless in their behavior. Because selfishness is the province of small children and infants. You wouldn't know it to look at our society, but that's the truth. To look at a mature Christian, you look at someone who has become selfless. Holiness is part of the whole, which is selfless. You know a mature Christian when they're willing to allow you or the people around them 
to work on their identity. They're willing to walk away from the things of this world. The only thing they won't stop doing is loving. They won't stop loving. They won't stop living in the truth. You see, when we got his life, nobody can take his life from us, but we can live as though we don't have it, right? We can live like we've got something to lose. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Today we're going to look at verses 20 through 25. And again, this is a continuation of a corrective letter to a carnal church. And as I said last week, it is a chapter that primarily addresses the abuse of tongues. In their carnality, the Corinthians had distorted the use of tongues into something akin to what was done in the pagan worship. And I'll remind you of this, pagan religions had their own version of tongues that was an integral part of their worship. In worship, they would work themselves up into an emotional frenzy. And that was a state that they referred to as ecstasy. Now, I want you to remember this. They referred to it as ecstasy, and it literally means to go out of themselves go out of themselves to a place where they could communicate with their God. So they would be seen babbling ecstatically, and that was what they were saying was unknown to them. It was unknown to the people around them, but it was them communicating in their God's language to their God. That's what they believed. It was ecstatic babbling. So that's the way they worshiped. It was totally incomprehensible, and it was a common practice in pagan worship. So as the Corinthians had done with just about a lot, a lot of things from their worldly experience, they began to incorporate into their worship. They had incorporated this pagan practice into worship. And again, this fellowship was being destroyed by their determination to strike a compromise between living to the flesh and living to the spirit. That's what was killing them. That's called carnality. This church had become man-centered in its approach to God and worship. And so, as I said last week, you see divisions, you see factions, you see glory-seeking, and all manner of pandering to worldly living. Now, Paul's made it very clear that the purpose of the spiritual gifts were to edify the church. That is us. That's the body. They are not for personal edification. They're not for the building up of an individual. Now, Paul points this out in chapter 12, and notice the sequencing. He points out in chapter 12, the individual parts of the body come together to make a whole. Not one is edified above the other. And then he follows up with the love chapter in chapter 13. And he makes it clear that every spiritual gift must flow from the unconditional agape love of God. That must be its source. So these gifts of the Spirit that are to edify must flow from the unconditional selfless love of God. Now, we know that God's love is actually the activity of God's love. It is God in action. So the gifts must have the love of God for the church. Get that. The gifts must have the love of God for the church at its source. Not for one person, but for the body. And they are to edify the body. Now that is the way the gifts are to work. Their purpose is to edify or to build up the corporate body of Christ. Now that was not true of the gifts being practiced in the Corinthian fellowship. 
What was going on there was self-edification. Now, edification is used or referred to in this chapter many times. Why? Because Paul knew they had missed the point of the gifts. So he refers to it in verses 4, in verse 5, and in verse 12, and then he refers to it in verse 19 in this statement, in order to instruct others, and in verse 26 where he says, let every Thing be constructive and edifying for the good of all. Now, the Greek word for edification is oikoidemai. And it is a compound word that actually means to build a house or a house builder. It's referencing the building up of the church, the church of God, in the same way a weightlifter builds his muscle as muscle mass by exercising. And so Paul, again, is driving the point home that the church is the body of Christ and corporate worship is for building or for the edification of the body of Christ. So how is this done? Well, it's done from the head down. As the body of Christ, we're to put our focus on Christ. It is he who is the life and the vitality of the church body. You've seen churches that don't have life in them. They don't have vitality to them. They're all about programs to be the incentive for moving people around. There's no, in essence, there's no passion for him. Well, the problem is that this church, the church is not Christ-focused. It's program-focused. It is people-focused. It is world-focused. It, it could be a number of admirable things. that are, It could be evangelism-focused. It can be education-focused. It can be a lot of things, but those are spokes on the hub, and if you take the hub out, they cannot support themselves, can they? And this is where a lot of these things were going off, because Jesus wasn't at the hub. The church is edified from the head down, and it is in the worship and the nurture of him that we are edified as a body. Now, as I've said again, this is about the one particular gift, tongues. And the Corinthians, some of those Corinthians did, in fact, have the legitimate gift of tongues. We learned that last week. But what was being emphasized was the pagan counterfeit of ecstatic babble. Now, there's a distinction in the Greek between the plural tongues and the singular tongue, which is believed by some of the scholars to indicate between what was a legitimate gift and what was a counterfeit gift. And Paul gave an example in verse 2, which I've continued to mention, where the verse is literally translated, the verse, when it's literally translated, it says, For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but it's literally translated, but to a God. Most of your translations will just have God under there, capital G. But it is literally translated, but to a God, for no one understands or catches his meaning. Unknown tongue, again, there being singular. Now, it's there that Paul references the counterfeit. Now, I'm just giving you this little bit of background so you can begin to see this stuff for yourself. I know it's not particularly inspiring, but the reality of it is that if we do not begin to look closely at what we're reading and understanding what we're reading, we define it wrongly. And suddenly these things become the activity or the actions of flesh rather than the activity or the working out of the Spirit of God. 
So Paul is trying to make it very clear to this church that what was going on there, they had a counterfeit and then they had the reality. The counterfeit does not meet with any of the criteria. What were they? It does not edify because no one understands it. It can't edify the body of Christ if nobody understood it, right? That's not helpful. There was no interpreter. And it was not done for the edification of the, of the individual. Therefore, it was not done out of agape love. Agape love is selfless. So someone who is just having a religious experience to the distraction of everyone around them and nobody's able, able to participate in it, they only can hear it, and the people themselves don't really know what's going on, that's not acting out of love. That's not edifying the body. That's self-edification. That is an example of the counterfeit. So last week, we ended at verse 19, and we're going to pick up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19. Paul writes, Nevertheless, in public worship, I would rather say five words with my understanding and intelligently in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a strange tongue or language. Well, that sets it forth pretty plain. But actually, this verse is translated in an understated way because that number 10,000 is the Greek word moreoi, and it really means countless, innumerable Five words that edify the body or lift Jesus are better than innumerable words that only edify self. That's what Paul's saying. Does that sound like he's setting up a mandate for tongues? Or does it sound like he's being corrective? He's being corrective. Paul is trying to put things back into perspective. They've been worshiping according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. Now look at verse 20. He says, brethren, do not be children. Immature in your thinking, continue to be babes in matters of evil, but in your minds be mature men. Okay? Now Paul is saying, the way you're handling the gifts is immature. It's like a two to five year old. You don't comprehend either their value or their purpose. You should be innocent in the handling of evil like an infant. However, grow up in your thinking like mature men. Now, I'm going to use Emerus and Idris for an example simply because their ages kind of coincide with the illustration of Paul's point. But if you hand Emerus a hammer, he may use it in any number of ways. But if he uses it correctly, it will probably be because he is mimicking what he has seen others do. It will not be because he has a firm grasp of the purpose of a hammer or the, all the uses of the hammer. Does everybody get that? He's three. That makes sense. Now, Idris is an infant. If you hand him a hammer, it will go straight into his mouth. He doesn't reason out its purpose. He lives with the instinctive conviction that all things were made for the mouth. And he's an infant. There's the difference. The Corinthians were handling the gift of tongues and, or languages like children. They were drawing attention to themselves. They had made it a priority and an emphasis in their worship. They were all about individual distinction and superiority. They were not acting in love. They were not edifying the body. Even when they were using 
the actual gift of tongues and not just the counterfeit. It was still all about them. It was still the edification of the flesh. They were all about individual distinction. They were all about superiority. And Paul says to them, you don't need to understand evil, but you need to be mature in your thinking concerning your worship and your relationship with the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, what was the problem with the Corinthian church? They were carnal, right? They were flesh-centered, self-centered in their worship, immature. Now, an infant is innocent, but what, would, what do we know about them? Self-centered, right? They are selfish. Their needs come first. That's all they care about is getting their needs met, whether it's comfort or food or whatever that happens to be. They're selfish. That's the mark of an infant. They were immature. They were carnal. They were putting their needs before others. They were looking for their flesh to have expression. Verses 21 and 22. It is written in the law by men of strange languages and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And not even then will they listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, unknown tongues are meant for a supernatural sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers on the point of believing. While prophecy, inspired preaching and teaching, interpreting the divine will and purpose, is not for unbelievers on the point of believing, but for believers. Now, these two verses are very interesting. I want to point out, first of all, that Paul is quoting a verse out of Isaiah, okay? Now, Paul is not like a lot of our modern-day preachers who just pull stuff out of context in order to make a point. It's Scripture pointing to Scripture. It is the Spirit of God pointing to what the Spirit of God wrote, okay? So whenever you see that, when you see that in Scripture, where one Scripture references another, go back and read the context of the other, because the context is important to what they're saying. He is not pulling it out of context. He is saying the context lines up with what I'm addressing here. Okay? So, if you don't know what the context is then you'll make some assumptions about what he's saying in that one single verse that may or may not be true. Okay? Or you won't understand it. This is a quotation from Isaiah 28, and you will see what Paul is illustrating. In Isaiah 28, we're looking at the southern kingdom of Judah in the reign of King Hezekiah. Okay? And the year's around 705 B.C. Around 15 years earlier... The northern kingdom, Israel, had been defeated and destroyed by the Assyrians. Now, God had allowed this because of Israel's unbelief and their apostasy. Okay? Now, the southern kingdom has become unbelieving. And God speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah to warn them that the same thing that happened to the northern kingdom was about to happen to the southern kingdom because of their unbelief and apostasy. Now, that was the message of the first 15 verses of Isaiah 28. It's a warning from the prophet to Judah. 
the southern kingdom, that they are going to go through the same kind of disaster that the north went through. And in fact, it will be the Assyrians or the Babylonians who will come against them. Now, look at how Isaiah approaches the the problem. He finds the leaders of Israel, the prophets, the priests, in a drunken stupor. Look at verse 7. But even these reel from wine and stagger from strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel from strong drink. They are confused from wine. They stagger and are gone astray through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble when pronouncing judgment. And look at the condition of things in verse 8. This is kind of gross. For all the tables are full of filthy vomit so that there is no place that is clean. They're partying. And he comes in and he gives them a message from the Lord of the coming judgment. And they mock him. They scorn him. They make fun of him. Now look at their response to him in verses 9 and 10. To whom will he teach knowledge? Asked the drunkards. And whom will he make to understand the message? Those who are babies, just weaned from the milk and taken from the breast. Is that what he thinks we are? For it is his prophets repeating over and over, precept upon precept, rule upon rule, here a little, there a little. He goes on, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. He must think we're babies. They mock him. He keeps repeating the same simple stuff over and over again. They call his teaching simple, childish teaching. Did you catch that? Childish teaching. They are asking, are we such babies that he's got to repeat this same stuff over and over again? But here's the problem. They never heard it. They never listened. They may have given him their ears, but they never gave God their hearts. They lived for the appetites of the flesh. They were carnal. They weren't listening. You can look at the heart of God in this. He tries and he tries. He brings forth the truth in the simplest terms. He repeats it over and over again. That you might hear, that you might know. And what is God trying to do? Well, in... in In terms of Israel and Judah, he's trying to get them to forsake their worldly living and their incorporation of pagan worship and allow them and cause them to turn their face back towards their first love and to begin to live in the truth and live in the protection and the nurture of God. He's calling them back to what is best and what is good and what is right for them. But they had become carnal and they lived for the thrills of the flesh. That's why they're sitting around drinking. They're actually enjoying living in a stupor. And they were immature. They didn't grow from what God gave them. You've got to eat to grow. You've got to receive to grow. They mocked him. So in verse 11, he speaks for God. Isaiah speaks up and he says, God is speaking through Isaiah. And he says, no, but the Lord will teach the rebels in a more humiliating way. By men with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, says Isaiah, and teach them his lessons. Now, this is what God says. He says, 
you wouldn't hear the simple, repeated, childlike message of Isaiah, so I'm going to talk to you in a language you'll never understand. And what he meant was the babbling Babylonians who would come and encompass their city and who would take them out of their land and destroy their cities and their way of life. That's what he was referring to. They had the message, but they would not believe it. God became the monotonous repetition of precepts rather than their life. They were like children. They only wanted their comfort and their play and the worship was mindless. So when they begin to hear the unintelligible language of the Babylonians that they couldn't understand, they would know that the judgment of God had fallen. And it did in 588 B.C. So Paul tells us in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians that unknown tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.